Welcome to the Televerse, streaming in place. Avatar, the last airbender. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our anti-penultimate episode of Streaming in Place about Avatar, the last airbender. Um, this is book three, Fire, episodes 16 and 17, um, the Southern Raiders and the Ember Island Players. Uh, I'm going to kick things off real quick with a comment we got at the website from Ben, who says, uh, quote, I think you mean whom you're pushing is the best line in the whole show. Uh, we, we forgot to shout that out yesterday, and I apologize because I definitely giggled and immediately commented on it to my parents. I love a who whom joke in the context of a prison riot is a particularly delightful place to put it. Um, so thank you, Ben. Allison, I'm going to turn the floor over to you because congratulations. She's dancing, listeners. She's dancing. I'm dancing. <laughs> um, I called it. Yeah. Once. And like. You called it. You, you called it and you called ish. Can you really consider that a call dish? I, I do. I don't know. What do you think, okay. Noel? Do you think Ember Island was a call dish? Yeah. You, okay, but she, she predicted that the, the gang would put on a show. And instead, the gang went to a show that was put on starring them. Yeah. I feel like that's I think an that ish. makes it. I feel like that makes it the opposite. Okay. Uh, because let's put on a show is a, like a recognizable trope. Mm-hmm. But so is let's watch a fictional version of ourselves, and I picked the wrong one. Okay, yeah. okay. Keenan no. says it wasn't our town, which yeah, as Keenan says, wasn't our town. But yes, you absolutely nailed it. Was that your your outlandish pick, or was that your like reasoned pick? Because I know you tend to do one of each. Well, the, our town was the outlandish pick. Okay. You know, I uh, uh, I felt reasonably confident in my Southern Raiders prediction. I was trying to figure out why we would be in the South and who would be raiding. And that's all I could come up with. So I felt pretty okay with that one. Um, I assumed I was going to be much farther off the mark mm-hmm. um, with the second one, honestly, but, uh, but it did have the word players in it. So I assumed some sort of, if I'd been making a more reasoned guess, I would suspect I would have gone somewhere more um, Hamlet-y. Um, you know, more like palace intrigue, but, uh, I was obviously delight. How could you not be? Was obviously delighted to be wrong. So, um, I'd also like to thank Keenan for the series of text messages I got today as she watched that episode because it delighted me anew. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're getting to start with the heavy episode. So what did you think of the Southern Raiders and our, our, you know, much needed Clearly, at this point in the season, we needed our Katara Zuko hangout episode. So, what did you think? <laughs> you know, I um, I really like these Zuko field trips. I feel as though, even though we've been headed towards Zuko joins Team Avatar for what feels like an eternity, um, it's a great way to sort of shorthand and fast forward past what we might normally require in terms of developing them as a team and getting everybody on the same page. Um, And it also just feels, I don't know, both of these episodes felt like sort of precious little nuggets before it all ends. 
as opposed to let's barrel towards the finale. It's like, let's let everybody check some boxes on the stuff they need closure on. And then also let's do this ridiculous thing. More of that fun time wasting that we've been missing. Um, so I, so I liked it. I wish, I feel like there are other episodes of this show that tackle big ideas with a little bit more nuance. This was a pretty, I mean, Katara was, Never going to murder that guy. Although watching her use bloodbending was something else. And um, to go right to it, right? She didn't build up to it. Yeah. She was like, I'm bloodbending this guy. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, the sort of, oh, well, now he's this old broken man revelation also was not all that surprising, which is fine. It doesn't need to be, but it just feels like the show has done a better job of sort of deepening um, and allowing more like gray, gray tones and complexity in the big ideas episodes, which this is like, obviously a very hero's quest, make the right choice kind of episode. Um, And there were some more subtle, more nuanced moments, but I, and it all, I'm making it sound like my reaction was not as positive as it was. I think it's, it's a good, good episode. Um, But of the let's tackle a complicated issue by doing a thing episodes, you know, I think it's kind of middle of the pack. Okay. Uh, Keenan says, I was definitely prepared for more sorrowful and devastating episodes. I gasped when Katara used bloodbending. That was rough. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Uh, Noel, how did did this first one, uh, you know, live up to your memory? Right. Um, I kind of forgot how much of this episode relies on spectacle to sort of convey its emotional oomph as opposed to actually giving a lot of emotional oomph. So the bloodbending, for instance, is a really horrible thing to see and to watch Katara do it against someone who, like you've said, she goes immediately to it, doesn't wait. And then I'm going to waterbend the rain, uh, which is super cool and also kind of scary but at the same time, it's more a it's more like watching her anger manifest through her bending rather than watching her grapple with the emotions of it, which is unsatisfying in terms of what this episode should sort of be about. And or at least should be about in terms of her gaining closure regarding Kaya, uh, Kaya's death. Um so it's a weird sort of pivot episode for at least for like an emotional beat because it's less about dealing with this retired into obscurity special ops kind of guy and more about coming to grips with Zuko basically. And it's a weird kind of pivot to make um, that I think mostly works, but it just it sets up a bunch of things that I think should mean more to Katara, but that the episode doesn't want to engage in. Like that whole thing you have, you sound like Jet should be a much bigger piece of this episode than it really ends up being. Even if it also kind of like wants to very quickly remind you that Jet was a character so that when we get to the next episode, the Jet thing makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, But it just... It just doesn't work as well as I sort of remembered it working as before. And so I ended up being a little disappointed on it. So I'm I'm very much in the Alice, in Allison's camp of this is a good episode, but it's definitely one of the weaker sort of like big concept episodes of 
how do you work through the emotional emotional scars of war in a very different sort of way without really interrogating that and i think a what should have been a much more psychological based episode as opposed to more spectacle based okay i sounds like i was stronger in it than you guys i thought that i I liked how ugly they let her get Mm -hmm. um especially with Sokka, this other stuff. Like, I like this moment of connection. Because, like, these these Zuko episodes have basically been, like, now we're going to see how Zuko and Aang connect. Now we're going to see how Sokka and Aang connect. Um, (laughs) That's rough, buddy. Um, And here it's with, you know, the lingering rage and um, anger, uh, you know, of of loss and, you know, a a mother taken from a child. it was it was good to especially when that had been such a strong thread with the two of them throughout their few interactions before you know he joined the team or and right when he did join the team um i thought that was a fitting way to to tie it all together and the um yeah you're not really ever worried that she's going to kill the guy um but having her experience this and then come back and very actively not forgive him i thought was I was just I was so glad that that's what they did because yeah. too often in these types of narratives, the, the hero learns forgiveness and that the, they're really helping themselves by forgiving this person and relieving a burden off themselves. And I just, so often that is the, the, the narrative, that's the journey that they're supposed to do. And it, it just doesn't feel honest. You know, it's like they confronted them, had one moment with this person who the violence that they, that person caused, irreparably changed and harmed this person's life and they're like we're good now i forgave them like that's just not honest so i I thought that this was a better solution yeah and i agree with that um like it feels like an emotional and narrative cheat when they do that so that is something i appreciate about this episode um yeah Keenan says, I agree the episode could have been more complex, but I really liked it. And when she stopped the rain and made the rain dome thing, my queen. Yes, absolutely. Katara is amazing. Yeah. I'd never want to fight a waterbender in the rain. Just no. Absolutely (laughs) not. (laughs) Marcus says, the format of Zuko plus original core trio goes on an adventure uh, was feeling a little tired by this episode it would have been better if Zuko joined them a little earlier so his one-on-one adventures wouldn't have been back to back to back and that's a good point but I, I don't know if the rest of the narrative works for that but um the pacing but I, I hear you see I sort of like it I like that they're not even really trying to hide that that is what's happening um I just and whether or not Zuko realizes he's doing it consciously, it just there's something about it I find really appealing. I agree that it's ridiculous, but I think the show sort of owns up to it in a way that's really engaging. Yeah. Um, I also do want to say that I, speaking of how it's satisfying that Katara doesn't forgive this guy, um, I also really appreciate that, like, yeah, he's old and broken and kind of insignificant um but he's still a, just a piece of garbage mm-hmm. um like take my still, mom please yeah please take my mom um i think that goes a long way to sort of um making it feel a little less paint by number than it might have otherwise um and also that's a really good joke dark <laughs> but good yeah <laughs> 
I think having the um the who was it Toph or somebody uh, shout out the, like the oh so it's your turn to go off on with Zuko it was on an Aang. adventure yeah I think. yeah it's yeah. like yes yes I am that's what's you know that's what's happening now um Marcus says uh this is basically four episodes with zero Toph which isn't the best and yes Toph very much does not get her own Zuko episode and I she she calls attention to it yeah <laughs> yeah and it's it's tears also like that is the pairing i am the most curious about i can see zuko like what zuko is like with these other people what do toff and zuko talk about or is there right. is just silent the whole time hair combing they talk about an, a very nice royal slash rich person hair combing and what a luxury it is that's what they talk mm-hmm. about and we get a little bit of that in Ember Island players as well, um, with the two of them having that little moment in the theater. But yeah, no, it's one of those things of she doesn't have the baggage with him that everyone else has. Um, she has baggage probably with Azula, um, but she doesn't have any baggage with Zuko because Zuko was not a thing for her in terms of what they were dealing with. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Keenan says, uh, yes, I just assume she just brutally zings him the whole time. And Marcus says, Toph doesn't care about combs. True. But they could definitely commiserate uh, about, like, rich kid problems, um, which I had, hadn't thought of. So that, yeah, that's fun. <laughs> well, do we have any final thoughts on this episode? I got a couple things. One is, I appreciate, like how when they're just like everyone get out of the western air temple except you suki you're an honorary member of the team everyone else into the tunnel oh my like... God, it was very much main cast this way supporting players yeah. that way we'll see you yeah. in the finale <laughs> hakoda we don't know what to do with you so this is a kid's show into the tunnel <laughs> haru with your mustache you're too old now into the tunnel um it's just it was very very good um but then it's it's very it's a little weird but it's also it's so worth it for the whole Zuko ruins date night um, <laughs> with the tents. And by date night, I mean smooch night. Um, just, it's just, it's so good. It's just delicious. And I love it. Of Yeah, no, wrong tent. Just, it's so good. I love it very much. <laughs> I appreciate the acknowledgement of, no, there's romance happening. It's very good. And I appreciate it. I, the, the like, cheesecake pose yes was so funny oh god and then Zuko still being out there when he stuck his head out of the tent just what a delight and I very much appreciate that Sokka really does take the despite the fact that Zuko is totally interfering with smooch night um takes the time to be like okay Yes, let's talk about my sister and also some trauma. Uh, yeah. Let's get into it. Let's let's dig into some feelings. He is a good friend, and uh, they're like prison break bros now. I love it. The timing of all of that, and like again, I thought it was, and again, I always been thinking about like the intended audience and the age intended ages and everything, and I think they just nail it with how much they go into it and how much they don't, and it's yes, it's excellent excellent moment yeah um the last thing i have about this and this provides a segue into talking about the amber island players is i do really like that this episode happens right before the amber island players because 
this is not the Katara that's depicted on stage. Mm. And it really gets into like the ways in which their public persona does not match a lot of things that have actually happened. Um, even though Toph's public persona completely matches what's presented on stage. Um, so I really appreciate that you get that whole like emotional complexity with Katara here and this very different version of Katara that has always been present in the show to then hope, preach, and tears um, that we get on stage. So, yeah, no, let's talk about Ember Island players. Allison and Kate. Allison, what'd you think? Well, I feel like this episode was designed in a lab specifically for me. Um, but there are a lot of, like, pretty solid theater jokes. It's also an episode... It's one of my sort of like can be painful but often is delightful episodes where it's like nothing but room jokes where it's where the writers are writing it for themselves and if other people enjoy it then hey that's a and like with some fan service but if other people enjoy it then that's a bonus it's really just like it feels like it feels very much like a just before the big heartbreaking finale episode and that it's like a little gift that they're giving to themselves and to everyone else um like a rap party but in episode form um so i really enjoy those and then when you add in all the theater jokes it just it could not be better um but i want to start with a comment that keenan just made which i also agreed with and, and i think it's intentional um she says i found a lot of the Ember Island versions of the characters purely funny, but their version of Katara made me so, so angry. Um, and yeah, I mean, it just like watching, it's an interesting way of being like, by the way, sometimes history isn't accurate. Sometimes the way you perceive a situation might be colored by other forces. Um, in that our two heroines, uh, one of them is a large burly man to the delight of all. Um, I wouldn't have cast it any other way. (laughs) Right, just like, it's perfect. And then one of them is like a blushing, fainting, inspiring, swooning, um, empty sack of femininity, sobbing, preaching, exactly. Um, So I I think it's, that's the like thread of um, intellectual goodness that runs through this episode, questions of how we tell stories of war and who gets to determine the perspective on those things and all of that. Um, but mostly I just had a really good time. What, uh, what an absolute treat from start to finish. There is one before we get into all of the like wacky time. What did he say? Wacky time wasting hijinks that I've missed. Um, uh, I do also want to mention that I very much appreciate uh, how firmly the show lands on um, Katara's side when Aang goes in for that second kiss moments, (laughs) moments after Katara's like, I'm really confused Um, because that's a shitty thing to do. Even if you are a 12 year old boy, who's going to save the entire world. Um, So I appreciated that moment as well. Mm. Marcus says, I looked up who played the actors, and it's a who's who of voice actors. I'm going to second Diego and say, Rachel Dratch's Aang is not something I I thought I uh, would see. Um, so we've got Rachel Dratch is Aang. Um, Gray Griffin, who voices Azula, is actress Katara. 
Tara Strong, who voices like everyone, but Noel, a few people who, who's she uh, she's for? probably most notable for like having taken over for Harley Quinn in a bunch of the adaptations. Um, if memory serves, she also voiced like Batgirl for a while. Yeah, she's done a bunch of people. She does the yeah. actress Azula. Scott Menville does actor Sokka. Derek Bosco does actor Zuko. Um, Basco, I should say. So, um, yeah, as opposed to Dante Bosco. So his, I'm assuming that's a relation. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, uh, where is it? Um, Jenny Kwan, who does Suki, does actress Yue. Um, John DiMaggio did Toph and, and Uncle. So, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of, it, it very much, it's, it's like the Serena Williams things, like, oh, we need to cast actors. Who should we bring in to be, you know, to do it? And so that's why they got all these people. So here's where I anger the chat. I think this episode is fine. <laughs> but I would probably, like, never rewatch it. I, like, I was like, oh, yeah, this is, this is the clip show one that I don't care about. And that's pretty much, yeah. It's like, I see what they're doing. I get it. But I just binge the whole show. I don't need a refresher, and I don't think they add anything new or interesting to it. And I just want to get to the finale already. Can we please just get to the finale? <laughs> also, I really don't care. I so don't care about the shipping. That It feels like that's the main thing about this episode, that you couldn't just, like, take out of the context and just enjoy separately. Like, that's the thing that's, like, the, the narrative line. And it's... uh. I don't care about it. So I don't want to see the, that part of it, uh, of the storyline. Um, and so that is just like, okay, oh, well, here's the thing I'm supposed to care about, but I don't. And it feels forced and yay, they did it well if they're going to do it. But also like, go, go save the world um, is sort of how I feel about it. And so as I anticipated, um, we've got from Keenan, Kate, what? I plan to rewatch it several times. Wow. What a friendship ender. Fair enough. Diego. I am angered. Keenan, madam. Diego, but I can see where he rewatches. Eh, as my first time, it was truly delightful. Keenan, wow. Wow. Marcus, <laughs> it was fun, but it seemed like an odd choice for the pacing of the season. Keenan, Marcus, you and Kate, get out. And fair enough. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I know I'm the minority here. I just want to say my favorite talking to Kate Galzik about pop culture mode is when she's like, okay, here's the thing. Fuck your favorites. I, (laughs) sorry that you put the explicit warning on this one, but it is the mode that you enter. But I mean, listen, I know you're going to be mad, but fuck your favorites. It just, it sucks. I know you're going to think it doesn't suck, but here are the reasons it sucks. Here's my reasoned argument. Everything I say is going to be sound. And I'm not even that worked up about it because fuck your favorites. It's the, it's like the God tier Kate Kalsik mode. Uh, Try talking to her about the Stephen Moffat era of Doctor Who anytime you like to see another demonstration of Kate calls it fuck your favorites um please write a book Kate called fuck your favorites I will buy it I will blurb it anything you want it's my it's my very favorite thing and now I want an additional episode of Avatar the Last Airbender that's just an animated version of you talking shit about this episode boom I have more nuanced things to say about the theater stuff if you want me to t- put on my noel hat and like yes. get into that kind of thing Please do i absolutely will well no because i want to hear from noel first but but before we do that kate thank mm-hmm. you for yet another installment of fuck your favorites with kate Kaldick. 
I will subscribe to the podcast. I will See wear also the Ping Pong Girl, Crazy Ex Girlfriend. Yeah. Yes, another fine example. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Noel, tell me why I'm wrong. I know this is one of your favorites. I do really enjoy this episode. I think it's I think it's really delightful. Um, I totally see where you're coming from. However, like I don't dis I don't disagree with your reasoning behind all of it. I, you're I totally get it. Um, but I I do really enjoy this episode. I think it's really delightful. Um, I enjoy the jokes about being sort of a recap episode that is also a parody of recap episodes that then as diego notes provides a twist on the trope of them getting to see the propagandistic future of what's going to happen to them as sort of like a quick reminder of yeah no this is this is still something that's happening we we did this breather but also you're gonna die um type of deal so i like that as a sort of um little pivot on it um so that and then like allison mentioned that seeing this is sort of like a room joke episode but it's also very much a fandom joke episode of building up a bunch of stuff from complaints about the fandom like Fans don't like the Great Divide episode, which is why it's specifically called out as, let's not go there, um, to the, what happened to Jet exactly? Did Jet die? You know, it was really unclear. Um, and the some of that feels like a little casual, like Sokka being, you know, it was really unclear. It's just like, buddy, he died. <laughs> um, we can't say that, but he died. And that kind of a thing, I think... Um, they hit a balance bef- between it that mostly works. Um, but yeah, for me, mostly it boils down to like a lot of the good like theater stuff, like Aang getting Peter Panned, um, but also getting voiceovered since it is incredibly common for women to voice young boy characters, both in American animation, but also especially in anime. Um, so it's actually... Aang being voiced by by a young man is actually really kind of rare um, within Western animation and it's virtually unheard of in anime. Um, so that kind of a thing, I think, is also like a little lamp, fun lampshade hanging on that. So I like I like this episode. I think that there's a lot of like fun things in it, but I do acknowledge both your point, Case, and Marcus's about this is a weirdly placed episode in terms of let's just get to the finale. We've done all, we've done all the character development. We've eaten our character development vegetables of getting Zuko on board. We've done the onboarding HR process of making him an official member of team avatar. Let's go do the thing. And the show's like, we, we have an episode and we, we couldn't come up with a Toph and Toph and Zuko outing. So recap, Recap, and one of the things I should note is that this is actually an idea that they were kicking around, like, for a while in terms of, like, a premise. They were originally just going to run into, like, a trope, a troop that was running this, and everyone thought it was too silly. And then they went, well, you know, a recap episode kind of makes sense. We've had, like, 80 episodes. Maybe we should recap some stuff because of the airing process. Remember, it was eight months between yeah. <laughs> the invasion episode and all of these episodes airing. Um, so in terms of like a original airing format, I think that all of this makes a lot of sense. 
um, because streaming wasn't a thing. You could buy the DVDs, but also keep in mind that because it was a kid's show, they didn't release box sets of these DVDs. You had to buy each individual disc that only had four episodes on it to complete a season. Um, so you had to pay between 15 and $20 because kids' DVDs were typically a little cheaper um, to get four episodes. So what you're saying is like nobody did. <laughs> and like no one did because everyone yeah. waited until they released the box set that came out almost immediately after the show finished airing in July of whatever year this finished in 2008. That box set came out like in September. Um, and that's what everyone bought. <laughs> um, but that was that there wasn't a way to catch up. Reruns really didn't have a thing you could do VOD, but VOD at the time was just like cyclical really heavily. So it made a lot of sense to do this episode. And I think it works better than like the actual recap episode they do in Legend of Korra, which there's a whole other economic reason they had to do one. So I like this episode. It's fun. It's got a lot of good jokes, but I do acknowledge if you're watching it like how we're watching it, this episode feels a little weird. Um, but for me, I think a lot of it really works. But I want to hear Allison talk about theater stuff. Well, first I want to say some and things I like. responses to me. Yeah. Oh, oh, you want to... You, everyone, beep. Oh, now you do. Beep, now beep. you do. Yeah. Oh, no, I still don't think it's a great episode or anything. But um, mm-hmm. I really like the character designs. I really liked, like, all the... The, um, the special like, effects are really good. But, like, <laughs> I mean, you're going to talk about this, Allison. But anyone who has had any level of experience in theater, including myself just sitting in the the pit and just doing a couple shows yeah. uh, like like the the ribbons for like all that stuff like like oh, well, at one point so was the the there was like a boulder or something i thrown and i was like yeah. where did that go i was like oh it went into the pit like I've, yeah. I've done those shows that definitely there's somebody waiting there to catch it that's what that was um so there, there's some some fun stuff with that and uh i do think the the writing and like watching the characters interact like that is great so like if you're gonna do this episode they did a really good job with it i think it's just you know i just it the next episodes we're going to talk about are the finale and it's a four-part finale um and it's actually there's something cheeky and fun in subverting expectations so hard the way they do with this one and specifically the way it ends but we've been trained with watching tv to if you've got a big action finale which you know feels like this one's gonna have um in the it episode. doesn't. It actually so surprised. It all takes place in the lodge from Twin Peaks. It's real weird. Yeah, it's really like, weird. It totally, totally, totally just very weird. And Momo <laughs> is talking and Appa is like walking in a circle. And, yeah, yeah, it's great. Weird. Yeah. Um, but we've been trained to expect like, I've got a plan or something that's going to lead into because like, they still don't have a plan. They're just on the run. And the finale is the next episode. So like, yes, it makes sense that they, because this doesn't feel like it's the penultimate episode other than the fact that it's a recap. And so that's like, and I, I, that's very intentional who they're having fun with that expectation. And they've got four episodes to set up what the, like when they're going to have the plan. All this, like, yeah, they got plenty of time, but when I know we have two more episodes of streaming place to talk about the show, I'm like, I want more. I want more from this episode. So that having been said, Allison, what can you tell us about the theater stuff? Because I'm sure there's a lot of it. Oh, well, there's a lot. Um, so Noel sort of already alluded to the first big one, which is Ang being Peter Pan. Um, this is obviously a tradition in theater that goes back 
forever for as long as they've allowed women on stage, which is not forever, but for quite a ways. Um, There's a grand tradition in opera. A lot of the best roles specifically for mezzo-sopranos are actually young boys. Um, The Marriage of Figaro being sort of like the crowning example. Um, uh, That's also true uh, more recently in plays and musicals, um, where as with animation, you'll have a young woman, usually a petite woman, um, you know, wear a, a sports bra and some duct tape and a jaunty hat and call it a day. Um, Thankfully, they can wear binders now, though. <laughs> yes, true. Um, it is not a convincing illusion, but it's not meant to be, right? Like, you know, and you suspend your disbelief as you often do in theater. So, um I think the design of Aang is particularly smart because you can see the bald cap line and you can see the rouge and their faces are all made up differently because they're all wearing stage makeup, which I think is really great. Um, But Aang specifically is using sort of a visual vocabulary um, Mm -hmm. that Mary Martin used in Peter Pan, which has then been carried on through Kathy Rigby and all of the other people who've played that role sort of famously, um, though it has mercifully gone at least a little bit out of vogue because it is pretty racist. Um, Lots of delightful things in it, but also pretty racist. Uh, As is this play, as is this actual staging of the whole Avatar thing is actually, from a Fire Nation perspective, kind of racist, which is great. Horrible, yeah. but great. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's the big thing. But it also it makes some allusions to um, uh, big theatrical experiences like the Ring Cycle, specifically the Ring Cycle, um, as well as things like Tony Kushner's Angels in America. Um, there have been a couple of Tom Stoppard cycles um, the Kentucky cycle won a Pulitzer. God, oh my God. I'm so old, like 20 years ago. Um, and that is the sort of thing where you, or why am I, why do I not think of this right now or until COVID the Harry Potter and the, um, whatever child, I forget the Curse child name. Curse child. Thank you. Um, is also a two-night experience. So you commit to seeing something night after night after night, and it can be pretty intense. Uh, and those stories tend to be very epic in, in scope um, and in presentation. So then on top of that, you've got a bunch of little things, like we when we see our one stagehand holding what looks like a piece of metal and kind of shaking it, that's a thunder sheet, um, which is used... Um, not quite so much anymore because mostly now people just use audio tracks. Um, although I, having personally directed a play with a thunder sheet used in it in the last five years, I can tell you they are still in use where you basically just go like wobble, 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 and then you hear thunder. Um, and there are some other things like that where you can sort of see specifically traditions of theater in like the 17th, 18th, 19th centuries, um, footlights, painted backdrops. Uh, the flying system is more modern, um, but only that I suppose it might not be. It's possible that that one stagehand is backstage just going, <gasps> but because she flies off so smoothly, I expect it's a little more complicated than that. Um, So there are all kinds of really good nuggets like that. But the big thing, the Peter Pan thing, um, is spot on, perfect, so precise. And the way that they animated 
actor Aang with all of this like, oh, I got a crow, was just sublime. <laughs> uh, I have a question for Noel, though. Sure. Um, as our uh, guide to all things Avatar fandom, mm-hmm. um, is there a discussion out there on the on the old internet about who wrote this play because i expected that was going to be the big reveal at the end of this episode that we would see who wrote the play with all of that inside information and i assumed that that was going to be iroh and that was how they were going to be reunited tom on the other hand is convinced that it is the cabbage merchant the surprisingly knowledgeable cabbage merchant and i want to know if there are theories and also what your opinions might be because there had to be a playwright Right, and there's a there's a credited playwright um, for the play um, on the um, poster, um, and I think their face even like appears on the poster in like the corner, um, so which is delightful. Um, I imagine that there's probably some theorizing. I don't know, um, but for me, I just assumed that it was some like wandering playwright um, looking to make it big. And then got backing from the Fire Nation <laughs> and went, oh, I got an endowment from the Fire Nation. There are some strings attached, however. Um, new ending. <laughs> new ending. And so that's sort of like where I go. Um, but there is, there is, as Diego says, there's like two scenes where like there are a number of scenes where, how did you get this information exactly? Because <laughs> no one else was there. Um, so the only other thing I can think of, at least with, um, Katara and Zuko in the cave, is that some Dai Li agents spilled the beans. Mm-hmm. Um, they were just hanging out, hidden, and went, ooh, all this good teen gossip. <laughs> <laughs> I've really missed Earthbending Girl. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's definitely like a series of room jokes and fan jokes, um, for that. Um, so that's kind of where I end up on it. But yeah, I just assumed it was like some wandering playwright. It's a very flimsy sort of thing. And I think the Cabbage Merchant call out is just because the Cabbage Merchant hasn't appeared this season. <laughs> yeah. And of course, we got to shout out the Cabbage Merchant. Very, mm-hmm. uh, very good. Uh, Marcus thought the same as you, Allison. And uh, yeah, we uh, we will see Iroh again. It you doesn't don't feel like say. A, doesn't feel like a spoiler. We have to. Um, and uh, massages. Um, it should be, uh, yeah, that, 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 I like that answer. I like the cabbage merchant answer. I was sitting here. I was like, again, I had forgotten. I was like, do we find out like, maybe it's like a spirit world thing or like a connection that way. And then we don't find out. Um, so, uh, there's a lot of, I'm sure there are many, many theories. So listeners, if you know any, send them in. We want, we want to hear that. It's gmail.com. Um, do we have any final thoughts on these episodes? And uh, throw them in the chat, Keenan, Marcus, and Diego, if you have them. And if not, Allison, I'm not going to ask you to guess what do you think is going to happen in the finale? Sozin's Comet. Uh, but I will say, what do you hope happens in the finale? Any, like, I'm not going to have you guess based on that title, but what do you well, think? Well, do the individual parts have different titles? Um, let me look. They do. So we've got uh, part one, the Phoenix King, part two, the Old Masters, part three, Into the Inferno, and part four, Avatar Aang. Ooh. Okay. So I'm guessing part four is going to be like 
the final chapter of the Harry Potter series and that we're going to see them slightly more grown up, maybe revisit it. Maybe there'll be like a museum of the Great War where everybody gets to learn about what happened and Aang and Katara will be there with their kids um, I can't tell if you're drinking water or oh no, I'm water. just I'm not. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, so that's my guess for Avatar Ang. It's like the Flash Museum, only it'll be like the Avatar Museum. Um, so that's my guess for part four. Uh, the Phoenix King. So that's got to be Ozai. Um, and he, or I guess we haven't seen Boomy, but Phoenix is a fire thing. I'm assuming Boomy comes back. Okay. Predictions. These are just ridiculous predictions. I assume that Boomy comes back and that he is still in that metal box, bending things with his face. And then, uh, Toph will be able to bend him out. Um, oh yeah. Marcus says Boomy is an old master. So, um, yeah. Iroh and Boomy... And I don't know who else um, are all going to come together to be like, we're old and we're not going to take it anymore. And then they do good things. Um, I'm going to guess that Katara and Aang end up together. Uh, I'm going to guess that Zuko and May reunite. Um, I want there to be statues of Toph all over the world that she earthbends herself in the image of the actor who played her in the play. Um, I'm going to guess Iroh gets a T franchise, um, but he keeps it small enough that it still feels like a mom and pop company. You know, he doesn't go full Starbucks. It's just, he's got a healthy franchise of tea shops, bringing good tea to the people of the many nations. Um, I predict that um, Sokka and Sokka gets to you, Sokka and Suki do have a really great double team fight against Azula, and I'm gonna guess that we get another crazy invention, and. That at some point they roast marshmallows over the Inferno. Okay. With a guest voice performance by John Leguizamo. Okay. Going all in. Okay. Um, well, if, if anybody hanging out in the chat has any predictions they want to throw out there, now's the time. So looking forward to to your thoughts on, on all of this next week. It's been quite the Avatar journey, so looking, you know, looking forward to it. Um, yeah. Okay, Noel, anything you're looking forward to that you can say that's spoiler-free? No. Yeah, me too. Okay. No. Can't well, say anything. Um, yeah. That will wrap up our conversation for today. Thank you to Keenan and Diego and Marcus. And thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week. Bye! Bye! Bye.